The scripture reading today is Luke chapter 14, verses 1 to 24. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I, can, I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lydia. Um, like I said at the start, this really is a, uh, we have a lot to be thankful for. This, this is a celebration of all that the Lord has done for us, a celebration of, of His faithfulness. He is, he is at the, the center of, of, of everything that we uh, celebrate and, and say and do today. Um, saying that, um, the Lord chooses to do His work through faithful men and women. Um, and so it, it is really a, a delight um, to have uh, Lucas and, and Sue back with us. You guys want to come up? I want to pray for both of you, and then, Lucas, you can um, open Luke 14 for us. Um, um, we love you guys. We miss you guys. Um, say say hey to these guys downstairs. Um, we'll we'll do a little bit more uh, downstairs, but um, uh, I'm I'm not gonna do all of the things that we did about four years ago again and say thank you. Um, but thank you. <laughs> um, you. The the work continues, and um, your fingerprints are all over this, this place. So. Um, uh, if if you want to say thank you, want to say thank you, even if you, it's funny, like some of you are like, don't know who these guys are, been here for three years and um, came just after you left, so, um, but if you want to say thank you for all that kind of came before, um, uh, the, the foundation that, that the Lord kind of built through uh, the work of, of your family um, and others, then uh, say just a quick thanks uh, to these guys, and uh, we want to outdo showing uh, honor to one another, so um, yeah, um, let me pray for you. Um, Lord, we we thank you that you oh, that you love us, that you uh, you do what only you can do um, in upside down kind of ways, and you choose um, not not the uh, the ones at the top uh, to do your work. You actually come down below. Um, you choose 
use the, the foolish in this world to shame the wise and use the weak in this world uh, to do uh, mighty things. So we just thank you for um, the, the, your faithfulness and your work through um, a, a normal but beautiful um, family like Luke and Sue. Um, I just pray just, their, just your blessings on them. Um, I just pray that um, you would uh, continue to, to hold them, um, their kids, um, their family, um, his, his work now uh, uh, with a new church family. Um, we trust that, that you are good and that you are continuing to um, work your, your promises, continuing to be faithful to us. Um, but we want to say thank you um, for these guys and all they've uh, done for us. Um, just pray for Lucas, Lord. Um, uh, the John the Baptist prayer, may he decrease so that you can increase, Lord. May we leave today, uh, every single one of us, with just a full heart of Jesus, a, a bigger vision of, of who Christ is. Um, that's what we're after this morning, Lord. Um, pray this in your name. Amen. 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 I'm good now. Yeah? Thanks. Uh, man, miss you guys. It's good to see you. And uh, for those that I uh, don't know and don't recognize, it's really good to see you too. It'd be terrible if I came back and everything was the same and like no new people were here. So I'm really glad to see you too, <laughs> uh, for sure. So uh, it is uh, good to be back. We, we miss you uh, dearly, um, uh, for sure. And uh, we never thought we'd leave. And, and yet the Lord writes our stories in ways that are are sometimes different than we anticipate and uh, expect. And so uh, we just uh, follow him into obedience. And that's uh, what we did when, when the Lord called us to be a part of, of um, a Beginning Village all those many years ago. And so I'm uh, so proud um, of you and so uh, thankful to the Lord uh, for his continued faithfulness. It was why we were able to leave, honestly, uh, knowing that uh, this was never about uh, us. It was always uh, what the Lord was up to and what he was doing, and so entrusting him uh, to continue to do that. But I definitely understand a little better of uh, when Paul would plant a church and, and then move on and to, to, to other work, to plant other things, and the affection that he would write with um, back to uh, those churches, uh, I feel uh, in my heart and, and bones. So uh, yeah, we've missed you guys, and I'm really grateful to be back. Um, when John asked me to, uh, to speak, he said, hey, we've been going through Luke. Uh, we would just pick that up again. This is kind of the next section uh, in Luke, or you can, you know, uh, teach, you know, whatever. And so at first I was like, I'll teach whatever, because I really wanted to be able to kind of encourage and, and uh, you know, challenge uh, again. I'm sure these will come out again, but uh, <laughs> that's rare. I'm not known for showing emotion and crying. That's, I know you're surprised by that. Uh, so three, you know, Allie's keeping track. So, so you know how Paul had a thorn in his flesh to keep him humble? That was Allie uh, for me. So Allie, Allie, the Lord just puts people, you know, I love, I love it, but Allie's there just to make sure you're not too big for your britches. So, uh, and, uh, I'm deep, deeply uh, grateful for it. So she's keeping the, the tear tally going over there. So, uh, but when he asked me, uh, you know, hey, teach whatever or this, I'm like, well, I'll have a look and see. And, uh, and once I looked at this passage, I'm like, this is actually perfect. This is uh, great um, because it's what we do, right? We just teach through the Bible. So this is the next section. So let's just get on with it in some sense. Uh, but it's also, I think, uh, right at the heart of, of how Village began and how I would love for us to continue uh, on with that. So here we have Jesus and he's uh, attending uh, a dinner. Um, think for a second, if you could have dinner with anyone, um, you could have dinner with anyone, who would you want to have dinner with? Think about that for a second. Got that person in your mind? Maybe it's an author that you uh, like, or a, I don't know, celebrity, a musician, somebody that you're, you're into. Everybody got that person that you'd want to have dinner with? How many of them were your family? 
One. <laughs> oh, no, two. Two. So two people. Uh, mine, would, mine wasn't my family either, so don't, don't feel bad. But that's okay, because Jesus says you're not allowed to have dinner with your family uh, in, in this uh, passage. So you're, you're off the hook, right? Um, Jesus often used uh, hy- hyperbole. Um, he would kind of use these over-the-top statements to drive home a greater and deeper point. And here he is right here in, in verse 12. Uh, he says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives. Uh, and so uh, what's Jesus driving at here? He would use this kind of hyperbolic language. Uh, there's other times where Jesus says, you must, if you want to follow me, you have to hate your mother and father. Now, does he, what is he on about? Like one of the commandments is to honor your father and mother. So surely Jesus isn't like going against uh, the law in that sense. Um, but he's, he's driving home a, a deeper point uh, and using this language, this kind of shocking language to arrest our attention uh, for what is going on here. And so I think this is, uh, this morning Jesus has given us an opportunity to kind of evaluate uh, who, who are we including or excluding uh, in our lives, particularly as Christians, as we go about the mission that Jesus has given us uh, to share the good news of the gospel, uh, to make disciples, um, how, how are we going about that? How are we going about what Jesus has actually called us to be about? Um, and so the context that we see here is that he is on a Sabbath. This is a Sabbath uh, that's important in the Jewish context. And he goes to a house of a ruler of a Pharisee. So this is a, a, an important person in their religious context. And it's, uh, it's on the Sabbath. Now, uh, you'll notice here that uh, there's lawyers and Pharisees that are also here. Uh, and so this is like the creme de la creme of the religious kind of elite that are at this dinner that Jesus is at. And Jesus notices there's this man uh, before him who has this disease, this dropsy. And Jesus notices, says, and Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees. So now they haven't said anything in the text yet. And yet Jesus is responding to them. So the, the greater context here is the Pharisees were, were really looking uh, at, their, this is an entrapment is, is what it is. They're trying to catch out Jesus. Uh, he's healed on the Sabbath before. Uh, and that's, that's a big no-no. Like they saw that as breaking the law, as it were. It, it broke their religious traditions, the kind of rules that they had established and set up. And so it's, this almost seems like there's, Uh, here's all these important religious people and then this guy with the disease that happens to be there on the Sabbath. And uh, Jesus responds to them. I think it's a response to, he already knows their heart. He knows what's what's happening here. He knows the jig is up, um, as it were. And he responds and he asks them a question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Because this is the point of contention that they were uh, having with Jesus. How can you be the Messiah when you come breaking the law? Is it lawful to heal the Sabbath or not? So Jesus puts the question to them, and they remained silent. Like, well, I don't want to answer this question. Like, you're going to put us in this awkward kind of uh, position. And then he took the man, and he healed him, and he sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into the well on the Sabbath, they will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Jesus goes on then to kind of expose their way of thinking about the kingdom of God um, in the ways that they uh, had approached it from a, a religious kind of uh, system that they had set up, the structure that they had set up that had kind of gotten so out of hand that it, it became antithetical to what Jesus was about, what the, what the, the law was actually for. So much so that the Messiah actually comes and they crucify him. They kill him instead of welcoming him. And so what I want us to look at here is, is we think about mission, as we think about what God has called us to, as we think about the kingdom of God um, and these parables that Jesus uses to explain what they're about, uh, we're going to see Jesus coming and kind of dismantling their way of, of thinking. Um, and so the first thing that we're going to see, I think, is, is kind of, he exposes the world's guest list. So when we think about like, hey, who do I want at my table? 
Who do I want in my life? Who, is it, who, would, I, who would I put on my guest list, as it were? Um, and Jesus is going to expo- expose that. Who, who is included at their table? We see it's the lawyers, it's the, uh, the important people um, that are there. Um, we, we see this because they're kind of jockeying for position, right? Who, who gets to sit uh, where, all of this? And so Jesus tells them this parable. When, uh, uh, and he says this to the man who had invited him. He says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, which is who he had invited, lest, you all, uh, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Here uh, he says, hey, don't invite them. Don't invite the kind of people that you, these are the only people that you ever invite. Don't invite them. Why? He says, because you, they will invite you back. You'll, it's, this is, you'll be repaid. Now, this is, uh, in this culture that they were at, there's this culture of reciprocity, essentially, this kind of positive payback. Uh, and that, that's even in Northern Irish culture a little bit, right? Like, if you invite me, then I got to invite you. And, you know, it's just a little bit of, you know, kind of back and forth uh, in that. But that was definitely the culture there. Um, if you were invited, you were kind of almost obliged then to uh, invite them to a similar level event, right? So if they invited you to their daughter's wedding, which was a multi-day feasting and partying and things like that, then you're kind of on the hook when it came time to invite them into a similar level event. And so this is what they would do. They would, you know, if I've invited you to a five-star experience, I would only invite the people that could return that kind of level of experience to me. So five-star people kind of, you know, hung out with five-star people because um, they could repay each other. They could, there's this reciprocity. That, and, you know, three-star people, they kind of, you know, invited their kind of three-star people. They weren't five-star people yet, but, they, you know, they would do that. Zero-star people didn't invite anybody because they never got invited anywhere either. Like, this is the poor, the down and out. They weren't included in um, what was happening here. Jesus uh, says this isn't gracious hospitality. This is just an exchange or trading of hospitality. It's just a, it's just a, a you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours and his point here is, is this isn't reflecting the kingdom of God. This isn't how Israel, the people of God, God's chosen people, were supposed to be. They were supposed to be a people that reflected what God was like. His character, his nature. And they had gotten away from that. They were only inviting people that were like them. And so he says, uh, invite the poor, invite the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. And that would have been shocking to them you know, how in the world, how, why would it be blessed? These people can't repay me in any kind of way. Where's my blessing going to come from? And this is his point. The blessing isn't actually going to come from them. You'll be repaid by God who sees all and who will reward you at the resurrection. And he uses a particular kind of word here, a resurrection of the just, the righteous. Um, and this word that he uses is one that those who actually do or enact justice, those who are actually living it out, who are actually practicing righteousness. Uh, so these people saw themselves as righteous. They were the Pharisees, right? They, they prided themselves in their kind of purity. Um, and so they prided themselves in separation from the poor, the lame, the sick, the blind. They were the pure. They, were, they, they, they weren't going to sully themselves, as it were, by being in that. They were the, these were the pure people of, of Yahweh, of God. And Jesus is turning all of this upside down on them. He's like, it's not actually, you're not actually righteous. You're not actually living out uh, the justice of God. Um, now, this isn't new news. Jesus comes. Um, and, and basically says what the Lord had been telling his people uh, for generations. Right? He would send the prophets to his people, and the prophets would call people to repentance, and at times they would, and if they did as a nation, they would be blessed in, in that, and then other times they weren't. So the prophet Micah in, uh, in Micah uh, chapter 6, 
Uh, he asks these kind of questions, as it were. In, in Micah 6, 6, he says, what, uh, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? What, what will I bring to the Lord as I bow to the Lord on high? Shall I come with him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? This is part of their sacrificial system, right? Is that, is that what I should bring to the Lord? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with tens of thousands of rivers of oil? These are the things that they would use to, uh, in their, in their uh, uh, offerings to the Lord. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Um, if we were using modern day terms, it would be, uh, uh, what can I bring uh, to please the Lord? Is it, is it uh, you know, tens of thousands of pounds? Is it millions of pounds? Will the Lord be happy with that? If I even give my firstborn, if I give of my own body, if I give my own, my own self, will that please the Lord? And then he answers the question. The prophet says, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Over and over again, uh, the prophets would tell them, your offerings, your, your worship is as a clanging gong. It's just a, it's, a, it's a symbol. It's just a noise. Your offerings are actually a stench in the nostrils of God because it's all just this performative act of worship. It's not actually obedience. It's not actually uh, enacting justice to actually do what the Lord has called us to do. It's become some kind of uh, performative show before the Lord and then we walk out unchanged. We walked out uh, living our own lives apart from God. And so this is what Jesus is revealing to them. He's like, you don't care for the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. You don't care for the outsider, as it were. They're not a part of your club. They're not a part of the religious elite. They're not a part. They don't fit into the system that you have created. And this system that you've created is, is meant to reflect and honor and worship God, temple worship, and all these things that you're doing. And yet... Um, there's this exclusion that's happening. The prophets were calling people to care about what God cares about. But here's the thing. Um, often when we do that, uh, you're like, well, what do I get out of that? What, what do I get out of this? Where, where's the blessing? How, how can these people repay me as it were? And that's the danger, isn't it? It's a danger as a church even gets more established. As a church becomes 10 or 20 or 30 years old, uh, I've recently uh, just uh, taken on a, a new pastorate. Hopefully it's my last one, but we'll see, we'll see. But, uh, uh, of a pastor that's retired after 33 years, but the church will turn 60 in, in, uh, in March. And, uh, and so being a, a, a part of a church from scratch uh, to now 10, 12, 13 years old here at Village, uh, uh, the last church I was at on, just on staff is kind of a transition uh, to where I'm at now. It was a church that's uh, probably 30 years old, 30, 40 years old. And now I'm in a church that's 60. And you can kind of, and then, I mean, Northern Ireland is littered with churches that have been here for hundreds of years. And time um, has a danger with it, right? Because we can build religious kind of systems. We can, we can, um, miss the actual heart of God of what he's called us to. We can be about the work of, of, of church without actually getting to the heart of what God has called us to. And God is deeply concerned about those of, of who we include or exclude, uh, who he sees doing the work of his kingdom. And he says those are the people who will be rewarded, and they'll be rewarded at the resurrection of the just. Not all of our reward comes in this life. We have to have eyes that are uh, see beyond 10 years, 20 years, to see beyond our lifetime into eternity. If we're not careful, all of our lives, and certainly collectively of churches, we have this kind of mission drift. What starts off with doing justice and, and, and pursuing those that God, uh, who are far from God, to bring them near can become very much a kind of insider's kind of club, right? Like, oh, we're all here now, and this is lovely, and, and look what the Lord has done, and he's given us a building, and, and we just kind of then become 
uh, obsessed with these kind of things, and we forget what the Lord has actually called us to. Who he wants at his table. This wasn't just about feeding the hungry. Um, they actually had ways to do that. So, uh, you know, the, it's not that they didn't uh, feed the poor uh, or care for those people. They had ways to do that. But it was mostly leftovers out the kind of back door. They weren't included in table fellowship. They weren't invited into uh, the community in that sense. They were still outsiders. And so they would give them provision, but they wouldn't give them an invitation. They wouldn't include them as part of the, their fellowship. They were always still outsiders. And so when you invite someone to your table, uh, out for coffee, uh, the break room at work, whatever that may be, um, who is it that we are including in our lives? Is it our version of our friends, our families, our you know, rich neighbors, who, the people that basically like us and that are like us? Or are we willing to step outside of our comfort zones to the outsider? Uh, where, I, where I live, there's lots of opportunities to feed hungry people. Um, I, I'm in Huntington Beach now. I know, don't feel too sorry for me. I know, but... Uh, in the midst of kind of paradise, there's also a lot of, uh, there's an underbelly of all kinds of uh, brokenness and uh, homelessness. And so there's never, there, we're never short of opportunities to kind of care for these kind of people, the poor, the sick, the lame. But there's ways that we can even uh, do that to kind of tick a box without ever including them into uh, our community. We meet their needs without actually um, meeting them. And, um, and so we live in a world that's full of people who are starving. And some of them are literally hungry. Um, but, but this goes beyond, I think what Jesus is, is getting at, goes beyond just the physical needs of people. There are people who are starving relationally. Uh, loneliness at all-time highs that are actually uh, taking great tolls on, on mental health. There are people who are starving spiritually. Um, in many ways, that's how this church got started. Um, I was meeting um, some of you uh, at gigs and shows and, and art shows and, and all these different things and hearing these kind of stories of, uh, at that time, I was a pastor to, at a, a church uh, not in Belfast. And uh, my brother was involved in the music scene and kind of hanging out in that, and, you know, people would ask, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, man, I got to tell them I'm a pastor, I'm a minister, I'm like, that's the least coolest thing, I'm hanging out with like cool hip people, you know, they're musicians, they're artists, they're all this, and I'm like, ah, I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor, <laughs> right, but I didn't even have like a little side gig I could like kind of talk about, so I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm a pastor, and they're like, really, <laughs> and uh, conversation after conversation um, were people who were deeply spiritually hungry, now, they had a lot of cynicism, a lot of jadedness toward the church and religion and all those things. But when it came to talking about Jesus, when it came to talking about God, um, it was super open to that. Hungry, a spiritual hunger that was there. Um, I remember a very poignant conversation um, uh, with a fella. Now owns a business in, in Belfast. And uh, he said, yeah, he's like, I feel like when I go to church, I have to leave all my crap at the door and pick it up on the way out. Spiritually hungry, not included, feeling excluded. Now, some of that is our own sin, uh, so certainly uh, we can make decisions and choices to exclude ourselves, uh, for sure. But here Jesus is uh, scolding these Pharisees uh, for their religious system uh, that had built up just to make themselves feel good. Inviting the people that would make them feel good. Inviting people that were like them, that would pay them back as it were. Um, you saw some of the, the pictures, and this is why I've always been encouraged by Village and, 
And um, I don't think this is a scolding at all. This is, I want this to be an encouragement that we would continue on, that you would continue on in the ways uh, that we have already. So many of, of uh, the conversations were around tables, around food, uh, in, in pubs, in living rooms, in coffee shops, um, over and over again, um, making, trying to make our homes, uh, our tables, not just ours, many of you, uh, these places of refuge. The first person that came to faith in our church was our next-door neighbor. Um, her name's Caroline and, and um, lives in South Belfast still. And we didn't invite her to church necessarily. We just included her in our life. And then as she saw people coming into our house every Tuesday, got kind of curious about that. And was like, what, are you, what where are all these people on Tuesdays? I'm like, oh, we're reading the Bible together, studying the Bible. And do and, uh, you think I could maybe come to that? Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, a few months later, um, making profession of faith. Village was founded on gospel hospitality. But here, there's no grace at this host's meal. It's Pharisees. It's lawyers. They're watching him carefully. They're trying to entrap him to see if he'll break the law by healing someone. Uh, The very... uh, uh, epitome of what the kingdom of God is, to bring restoration, to bring wholeness. And so Jesus does, he enacts grace right in front of them, sends the man on his way, and then starts to tell the story. If you want to see a religious person's vision of life, show up at one of their meals. Here there's, this is on the Sabbath, this is the day that they were meant to, to keep holy to the Lord, and yet there's no restoration There's no uh, healing. There's no grace. Instead, it's jockeying for position. It's power. Where am I going to sit? Where do I get to be? Will I be seen? Jesus is like, why are you, what are you doing? Just sit at the the end of the table and allow yourself to be invited uh, to a place of honor by the host. But as we try to exalt ourselves, you'll end up just being humbled. The economy of God's kingdom is always upside down, isn't it? It's the places of lowly places that are the places of honor. It's not the places of expe- that we would expect in a religious system at all. The religious, the Pharisees here, thought that their meals maintained the purity of Israel. They weren't to eat with certain kinds of people. Uh, They wouldn't eat with Samaritans. They wouldn't eat with the the lame, the sick, uh, in those kind of ways. Because they must be sinners. Otherwise, why would they be sick? Right? You remember the blind man that Jesus healed? And they're like, well, why is he blind from birth? It must be the sin of his parents. Was it his sin or his parents' sin? Somebody sinned. Why else would he be blind? And Jesus is like, no, he's blind so that I can actually, God can receive glory as I heal him and, 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 and bring restoration to him. Their meal had become the opposite of a signpost of the kingdom. It wasn't at all what they were meant to be. They were too busy fighting their culture wars to maintain their clean religion, that they were failing to reach people with the kingdom of God. And then Jesus comes as the Messiah, and what's he accused of? Because Jesus comes doing what? Eating and drinking. Wait a minute, that's, that's the plan? The Son of God's going to come and take on flesh. He's going to reveal himself. Great. How's he going to do it? Some great political speech in the heart of Rome? Now he's going to come and just eat and drink and go to weddings and hang out with people. That friend of sinners is what Jesus was known as. Oh, he must be a drunk and a glutton. Now, of course, Jesus wasn't those things. He was sinless in all of what he, he did. And yet to them, um, this is what it appeared like because they were so uh, set on keeping their ways uh, separate and pure, the purity of their kind of religious system. They were too busy uh, fighting their kind of culture war and maintaining their purity that they failed to actually represent the kingdom of God in the way that they had called. And so here comes Jesus eating and drinking, friend of sinners, to turn their guest list upside down. Pursuing people. The outcast. 
the lame, the blind, the sick, even the religious. And he didn't invite who would pay him back. He included those who couldn't. Why? Because that is the gospel. Jesus included us when we couldn't pay him back. What could we give to the Lord? Micah asked that question. Could I get a thousand bulls, like unlimited resources to God? Is that enough? No, it's not. I mean, it could never be enough to cover our sin. God includes us into the kingdom through his son by just accepting his invitation. We are the sick, the lame, the blind that God has included. So Jesus looks at their guest list, the world's kind of guest list, um, and then he turns and um, kind of gives us God's guest list then, who, who should be invited at the table. Who, who does God include? In verse 15, <clears throat> this is funny. Uh, when one of those who was reclined with him at the table heard these things, he kind of pipes up, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God, right? Is this kind of religious kind of rhetorical, like, and this is a, a reference to uh, the prophet Isaiah, and he's like, you know, the, the final feast, and, uh, you know, he's, you know, trying to give the, the right Sunday school kind of answer. Well, blessed is everyone then who, who gets to do this. And Jesus gives the analogy. He says, uh, a man gave a great banquet and invited many. And at time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. I bought a field. Uh, I, I just bought some ox. I just got married. On and on the excuses kind of go. And so the servant came, verse 21, and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you've commanded has been done, and there's still room. And the master said to the servant, Go to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. He's giving this kingdom feast, this great banquet. Notice there's many um, that have been invited. And here's what's happening here in this story um, that we might miss in first read. In verse 17, you get this kind of dual invitation, right? So at the time uh, at the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, now come, everything is ready, right? So you, you would get the invitation first, um, and you would RSVP, right? We know how that kind of works. Um, and then when it was the time, he would say, hey, now everything's ready. It's time to go. So um, obviously, you know, hey, this feast is going to be at this date, this kind of uh, time. Um, can you come? So they've already said yes. The second invitation goes out to let them know that things are, are ready. And they all start to make excuses after they've said yes, after they've RSVP'd. Um, and these are lame excuses that, that's happening here. Uh, the first one, well, you know, I bought a field. Now, no one would buy a field in that time without first inspecting the field. You would want to know the agricultural history, how much rainfall, what is this yield going to be? Like, you would do all of that before you bought this field. So the idea that you'd bought a field and hadn't gone to inspect it yet um, would have been a ridiculous idea, right? It'd be like you buying a car, you know, without even looking at it or, or, or uh, you know, kicking the tires a bit. And the same with ox. You wouldn't buy five yoke of ox without inspecting them first. Uh, are they healthy? Are they diseased? Uh, can, can they, you know, furrow in a straight line? Like, you would have inspected these things uh, before doing that. And then you're like, oh, well, what about the guy that just got married, right? Now, they'll openly talk about, you know, sex in that kind of way. But basically, he's like, eh, I just got married. I need to go kind of spend time with my wife here. But you would have never have scheduled, like you would have never said yes and scheduled that. It's not, it's not, he's not on his honeymoon uh, in this sense. And so what's happened here, there's a collaboration to insult, to shame, to humiliate, to disgrace the host. Um, imagine you uh, throw in a dinner party, right? And you've invited people over 
And um, they're all in the living room, and you've got, you know, hors d'oeuvres, starters, and, you know, maybe drinks and stuff like that. And the main meal is going to be in, in the dining room, and, and, you know, it's being prepared. So you're there at the beginning, right? You're having your kind of starters and drinks and chat and everything like that. And then you're like, hey, everything's ready now. The table's all set. The food is out. Let's make our way into the dining room. And in that moment, everyone's like, oh, you know what? I actually got to go and, like, feed my cat. And, uh, yeah, I got, uh, I forgot, I got a, you know, uh, I got a dentist appointment. You'd be like, what, what is going on? What, what, what's happening here? All, everyone that said yes, that has kind of responded to this initial invitation is now uh, up to something. What's going on? And this is exactly what's happening. This is, this is a setup. Jesus says, I have come to a people who say they've been waiting as the people of God, Israel, right? They were expecting the Messiah. They've said yes. They've, they've, they've been waiting for me to come and throw a feast. And then I get up, and now they've rejected it. They're watching him carefully. They're trying to gather evidence against him. And notice the master becomes angry because the people uh, that you planned this meal for, the people that you had, had uh, called to, uh, to be a part of this, are now rejecting you. This is exactly what will happen, right? Um, the Jews will reject Jesus. The religious Jews will reject Jesus. They'll crucify him. And now the master becomes angry. He says, okay, then we'll go beyond who we've invited. Bringing the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And this was Jesus' ministry, Right? This is exactly who Jesus ministered to, even on his team. You know, he had uh, tax collectors, outsiders. Uh, Zacchaeus is there. The woman at the well uh, in, in all of kind of her social shame is, is brought near into the kingdom. Eventually we see uh, the gospel go out in the book of Acts to the Gentiles, to the Greeks, the Romans, the idol worshipers, all the people that the Jews would have uh, excluded as part of the people of God at that time. And, and this is who Jesus says the meal is for. And that's good news because that's us. <laughs> uh, we're not, we weren't a part of that. We're not a part of Israel. We weren't a part of, of God's called people at that time. But praise the Lord, he has gone on to where there will be someone from every tongue, every tribe represented in the kingdom. That's us. And so who is at our table? We think about our lives. How are we organizing our lives? Are there spiritually poor people? People that have nothing to offer in that regard. And that was us. We had nothing to offer for our own salvation. We were spiritually poor. Spiritually crippled. Made powerless by sin. Spiritually blind. Unable to see the truth of Jesus. Spiritually lame unable to come to God on our own. Jesus comes and provides the needs for all of those things for us. And so we sing, I once was blind, but now I see. We were spiritually dead and then made alive in Christ. So who I include in my table, as it were, the, the table of my life, should reflect who God is including in his. Outsiders. It's not just my friends, my neighbors, my family, those that can exchange in reciprocity. It'll be the spiritually blind, the spiritually lame, the spiritually poor, those that are physically in those things as well. Because that what God through Christ has done for us. He has included us at the table. You're here because of what God has done through Christ to invite you to his table. It's why we actually celebrate the table weekly, to be reminded of that. It's through his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. And so what about our guest list then? Who should be at our table? In verse 23, says, go out and compel them to come. Compelling them to come. This is the mission that God has called us to. Go, make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. We go and compel people the good news. Hey, there is a banquet. There is a feast that you were invited to. 
Our lives can be lives of hospitality, lives of meals in this way, of, of enacted mission. Meals can be these visual representation of our hearts, of God's heart. It's uh, part of what communion is, isn't it? It's, it's a remembrance of what God has done to bring us into his kingdom as we come to the table together. Um, and yet here they're missing the point. These are the people who should have known. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law. And they're missing the point. Jesus uh, reiterates this in many different ways. Remember the, the story of the Good Samaritan? It wasn't the religious elite. They avoided, they walked on the other side of the road. There was someone in need. The rabbi, the priest, both can't risk being ceremonially unclean, walk on past. It's the Samaritan who the Jews hated. The outsider, they're not part of us. They're not a part of the people of God. They're not welcome at, ta- at temple worship. And yet it's him who Jesus says offers radical hospitality, this picture of the gospel. The table fellowship of Jesus with, it, with his ethic of grace rather than reciprocity was creating a new countercultural society in the midst of empire. Tim Chester says the behaviors that Jesus demands would collapse that distance between rich and poor, insider and outsider. Imagine if, our, uh, if all of our churches were like that. That's why we organized in missional communities. They're not just small groups. They're not just support groups, although those are great. They're not just Bible studies. We're meant to be on mission together. We are meant to go out and compel people into our tables. Be on mission together. That's why we threw parties and had house gigs and all kinds of barbecues, whatever it was, inviting neighbors in so that they might see what the kingdom of God is like. Jesus, a friend of sinners. And yet so often at church, we want to exclude ourselves from the sinners, the unclean. Northern Ireland and even America have enough history of church and religion. Most people have a pretty good idea of what goes on on inside of a church on Sunday, for the most part. Maybe less and less these days, but for the most part. They've been, you know, maybe at Easter or a wedding or whatever that is. They have no idea what the church is like Monday to Saturday. No idea. Unless we go and compel them to come. To come near. That they're not just projects, but they're friends. And so we throw these kind of mini examples of what the kingdom of God is like. Outsiders becoming insiders. Eating and drinking offering hospitality, and accepting hospitality. Notice how much hospitality Jesus accepts as well. Um, That's part of it as well. uh, The Lord taught me this lesson in a very profound way uh, when I still lived on Timby Park. Uh, So we had neighbors across the street, and uh, he was an atheist, and she was, grew up Anglican, but wasn't really practicing at all. We became friends with them. Our our girls were around the same age. And um, one day his car wouldn't start. Uh, his car broke down, and uh, I didn't need my car that day, and I, I said, hey, take my car, you know, like I'm trying to be kind, reach my neighbor, all this, yeah, here, take my car, great, he's like, you sure, I'm like, yeah, no, absolutely no problem, go ahead, I kid you not, two days later, my car wouldn't start, <laughs> my car broke down, he's like, hey, I don't need my car today, take my car, and so what did I do, oh, no, 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 I couldn't, oh, I couldn't do it, no, it's okay, I'll figure it out, it's okay, I wouldn't want to put you out, and as I'm walking back into the house, I just felt the Holy Spirit grab me by the collar and be like, you're an idiot. <laughs> and so I turned around. I went, you know what? Sue didn't need to go to the shop today. Do you mind, you know, if we at least made a Tesco run? Oh, no, no, sure, sure, sure. Sometimes it's receiving hospitality. Why? Because it lets people know I'm in as much need of grace as you are. We're all an equal need of what God offers us. Hospitality can be an acting mission. It can be receiving hospitality as well. Jesus comes eating and drinking, the friend of sinners. And this meal, he says, is supposed to be one of enacted grace. It should be where the man with dropsy actually receives restoration, salvation, healing. And yet you've set this up as a trap. 
The only people that are here are your friends who can repay you. This is just a a backslapping kind of club that's going on here. This isn't actually reflective of what the kingdom of God is like. You think it is. You think you're maintaining purity. And yet it's the very opposite of the heart of God. Jesus, it's, it's interesting, didn't start projects, didn't establish ministries, he didn't create programs, or even really put on events. He just ate with people. He just, he just did routine kind of things. He showed up at watering holes. And he met their needs in profound ways. People aren't saved through hospitality, but it is often a vehicle by which the gospel is communicated and people are welcomed in. Uh, let me just read as we begin to land the plane here. In Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, uh, Paul is going to kind of give a list of uh, you know, what walking with, with the Lord kind of looks like. All right, so Romans 12 in uh, verse 9. Marks of the true Christian is what the heading in my Bible says. He says this. He says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. And all the Pharisees would have said, amen. We're abhorring what is evil. Those evil people out there. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejo- rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be, consistent, uh, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Hospi- How is hospitality? I mean, fervent in spirit and pray. You're like, yes, amen, all, that, all the churchy stuff. Yeah, and make sure you're showing hospitality. And if that feels out of place, maybe that's an indicator of something in our own hearts and minds. Hospitality is right there with the rest of, of these ways that we, you know, to, to be fervent in spirit, to love one another, to hold what is fast and what is good, a, a boring evil, and showing hospitality. It's interesting that uh, one of the qualifications of being an elder in a church is hospitality. Do they welcome in the stranger? Do they welcome in outsiders? Or do we make our own excuses? And we can, right? I, it, it, hospitality can be scary, no doubt. You invite people into your, into your life, your life gets exposed a little bit, right? And yet that's exactly what Jesus says we're supposed to do. <laughs> we're supposed to expose our lives to people, be a city on a hill, The antidote for that is fear of the Lord. That God's opinion matters more than what other people's opinion of me means. And so I will expose my life, all of it. Um, Have you ever been to someone's house and you don't feel comfortable there because it's too clean? Like you go and you're like, oh, I can't, do I need to take my shoes off? Do I, can I sit on this sofa? Has anyone ever sat on this sofa? Like this is like a showroom, you know, like you've walked into some high-end furniture store or something like that. You're like, I don't know if I can, it's just too pristine. But often that's the way we think about Christianity, right? I just want people to see the pristine parts of my life. And then you're like, well, I can't relate to that. I'm not welcome here. I'm not saying we need to have filthy, you know, houses as well, but we don't need to clean the outside of the cup while the inside is still dirty. Let people see we're just doing normal, ordinary lives with gospel intentionality baked in. And often we can try to maintain distance through formality um, in that way. And so let people in. Uh, let them be a witness to the grace in your life, not the works in your life. Uh, sometimes we can be afraid it's too costly, right? Food prices are up, all this kind of stuff. But hospitality doesn't have to always be five-star experiences and feasts and banquets. And it can be, you know, takeout, Chinese takeout on paper plates or whatever it is, right? Uh, a cup of coffee. It doesn't have to be uh, everything. Uh, it, can, it can just be normal. Following Jesus is costly, to be sure, but not always in the ways that we think that it is. Uh, we are generous with our lives because God is generous with us. We can often be too busy, right? Uh, and maybe that is a problem. Maybe you actually are too busy. 
Sometimes we're, we're too busy doing church than to be the church. And yet God has called us to go, to compel people. We're all called to be on mission. Doesn't require a seminary degree uh, at all. Some of us are called and set aside for that to help equip others for sure, but it's just ordinary lives. Your normal, ordinary going to the watering hole, going, uh, inviting people into your life with gospel intentionality. And here's the kicker. These people thought they were doing the right thing. They thought they were maintaining religious purity. They thought they were uh, doing all the right things, so much so that when God in flesh showed up, they were trying to entrap him. They were trying to figure out what's wrong with this guy. Why is he hanging out with sinners and eating? He's a glutton, all these different things. But awareness of God um, in moments of normal kind of life often come as we give and receive hospitality, as we include outsiders and invite them in to taste and see that the Lord is good, that they get to experience what the kingdom of God is like, not just a church service. They get to actually see us love one another, bear with one another, forgive one another. All the kind of ugly stuff of life sometimes. And so my encouragement to you in this 10 years is to resist missional atrophy that will just naturally come as the church gets older. It's easy. Look around. Like, you guys are great. Why wouldn't you want to just hang out with each other all the time? It'd be great. It'd be brilliant. The Lord says, do that, but continue to invite, continue to bring in the outsiders, that they also can have a seat at the table. Our muscles can kind of waste away if we don't use those kind of missional muscles, right? We exercise worship muscles, prayer muscles, serving muscles, all these kind of things that it's easy to kind of do in the walls of these churches, and we kind of let missional muscle, muscle, muscles, muscles atrophy, right? Have you ever, I don't know if you've, I was in the hospital for a while, lost a ton of weight, and all my, like, I literally felt so weak because all my muscles just kind of wasted away. It took a while to build them back up once you get healthy again. And that's the danger of a church as it, as it grows and it experiences life. There's a reason why churches don't stay that way. There's a reason why they don't continue and, and to, to continue on. There's a reason why God re- removes lampstands from churches at times. Because they've forgotten what it means to go out into the highways and hedges. To find the lame, the poor, the crippled, the blind. And at this point, he's just like, find anybody. doesn't even matter. Bring them in. And we want to instead throw dinner parties with our religious friends to the exclusion of others. Jesus comes to explode our idea of what being the church is in many ways. And so I want this to be an encouragement because Village has done this so well. And to encourage you to continue on, not to forget. Uh, That's our, our weaknesses, the people of God, is we just forget where we started oftentimes. We find ourselves in in a wilderness. And so Jesus comes reminding us, challenging us, encouraging us uh, that the heart of God is always moving out to bring others in because that's what he has done for us in the gospel. Let me pray. Father, you are so good and we are glad. And yet uh, we pray today that uh, that goodness would not uh, terminate on us, that it would not end with us. Uh, that we wouldn't just extol uh, your goodness to each other, um, but that we would uh, be compelled, that we would have uh, your heart as we see other people, that we don't see them as, as uh, a waste of our time or a burden or unclean or sinners or not like us from the the wrong side of a political divide or the wrong side of a city, whatever it may be, Father, um, that we would be like Jesus, that we would be friend of sinners because we once were those. We too were once lame and blind and crippled and poor. You invited us to your table through your body broken for us, your blood shed for us. And so help us again this morning uh, to repent of our sin, of selfishness, of self-centeredness, 
Um, help us to repent of being too busy or too afraid or not wanting to pay the cost of, of being uh, a disciple of Jesus. Um, just confess that that is our natural bent. And so uh, stir our hearts and affections for Jesus once again, that we would love the things that you love, that we would care about the things that you care about, that we wouldn't get caught up in uh, religiosity to the expense of the heart of the gospel moving out. And would you do this by your spirit and by your grace, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen.